Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel with me, Eli Sussman, uh, the managing editor of Fish Stripes, where we cover your Miami Marlins every day in our own way. This is supposed to be about continuing our off-season shopping series, but real life got in the way for the Marlins, where they made quite a bit of moves. Um, we were anticipating some roster churn here on Tuesday night, and we got it in terms of a trade. Prospects promoted to the 40-man, guys getting squeezed off as well. So I'm joined by Kevin Baral, like Louis Adia-Weiss. And during the second half of the show, we're going to get to aisle four of off-season shopping, where we are zeroing in on um, some of the biggest superstars that potentially Marlins could acquire. Uh, it's the final aisle with players that produced five or more wins above replacement this past season. Before that, we need to get into the actual news that uh, broke on Tuesday. And so we'll start off. First with the trade that was made, a four-player trade between the Marlins and the Rays. These teams are frequent trade partners over the last couple of years. And this one, the first of a four-player variety, um, one that it kind of fits a similar pattern where the Marlins are deeping, dipping deep into their farm system to acquire players that are just about ready to contribute in the majors. They acquire Xavier Edwards and JT Chargua. I think I got that right. For Santiago Suarez and Marcus Johnson, two players that just joined the organization earlier this year. Kevin, let me just get your general thoughts about Xavier Edwards being the main piece of this. Um, why do you think the Marlins did this, and what are they trying to accomplish with this trade? Xavier Edwards, this is the number four prospect, or was the number four prospect, according to MLB Pipeline for the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, plays basically the whole infield except first base. He spent most of his time though playing uh, second base, so we'll see what happens there. He's a Miami native, as mentioned, uh, I believe, previously on Twitter. And this is a pretty dang good player, you know, besides this AAA season he made that there. And he kind of had a small dip in stats besides that. I mean, he's been hitting over 300 every other season of his minor league career, so... And the 3-2 from Reyes, they swing it, a well-hit ball out to right center field. Track and Kowser, Phillips chase, and this is to the wall, and lands on the track and jumps into the stands. It's an RBI double for Xavier Edwards. He does also have um, relations with um, New Marlins manager Skip Schumacher. He was with him in 2018, 2019 in San Diego. He's been traded once already before, and he comes back home, so... He definitely will have a shot to make the roster, the 26th opening roster, but I highly doubt it just because of 
the disappointing season he had in AAA. So we'll see what happens there. And they also got JT Shargoy Shargoas. So <laughs> we'll we'll get the name pronunciation better, but we'll talk about it later. We're talking about Edwards now. Yeah, I'm excited for Edwards. I saw a tweet. Uh, Eli, I think yeah, you're muted. muted. Yeah. I was just going to quickly confirm. It was not the Blake Snell trade. It was the Tommy Fam, okay, Jake Cronenworth, um, Hunter Renfro trade. That was a very interesting one back in December 2019. So it's almost three years later <laughs> they traded for a second time. Go ahead, Lewis. Yeah, so I'm excited about the Edwards trade just because I think I think the bat will play. Now, I did see a tweet immediately following the announcement of this trade where somebody compared him to another Jordan Groshans, and I kind of see that, you know, the power hasn't manifested in the minor leagues. If you look at the slash line, the only the one concern I may have is he does have an like Groshans, he, he does have an ability to get on base. I don't believe he strikes out all that much. Three three oh three, three seventy-three, but three seventy-nine slug. Yeah, eighteen um, percent strikeout, right? You'd You'd like to think that, you know, he may grow into some more power. Unfortunately, yeah, the power hasn't manifested yet. But, um, I mean, the Marlins have a history of doing this, bringing guys like Brinson home. Obviously, that didn't work prior. Um, you made a good point prior to the show, Eli, if we're voicing any concerns as of right now. Uh, when a guy gets advice, you know that there's maybe something there that we're not aware of that could be the reason as to why he's getting dealt uh, more than one time. And he was a highly talented pick. I mean, he, I was telling you guys ahead of this, he grew up 10 minutes from me. He went to North Broward Prep out in Coconut Creek, which is like a private uh, middle and high school. Hit very well there. Had a, over 500 on base percentage there. Played middle infield. And Florida is kind of like one of those baseball havens, especially South Florida. I mean, we know guys like Trey Turner down here, Castellanos, Brinson, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, yeah, you know, it's exciting. Um, I definitely think, to your point, Kevin, Looking at the minor league numbers that he had last year, I don't think he starts the year in the big leagues, though I would not be surprised if he competes. Um, you know, do what they did with Groshans. Groshans wasn't hitting at the time of the trade from Toronto. He played about 20 or so games in AAA, right there by his standards, and came up to the big leagues and was about an average bat, a slightly below average bat. But, you know, I think Edwards may benefit from some more seasoning down in AAA and then it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility to see him in the big leagues. And, you know, Eli, I was actually thinking, and I like, I, I mean, I like to do this. And if you guys have talked with me before, if you've heard me on previous podcasts, I like to do the comparisons because um, to other current big leaguers to kind of get an idea of maybe who they may be on a projection scale, uh, going beyond like the fan graph scouting scale. I look at a guy like on um, Luis Guillaume with the Mets, a uh, guy who possesses the ability to play all over the infield has a little bit more power, but I think he's got very good bat to ball skills. And we see he has an ability to play second base, to play third base, to play shortstop. That could be somebody that um, Edwards kind of looks like to them early on. Um, but it'll be a matter of time. I think, you know, you want, you, you want him to get spring training get acclimated and hopefully he hits well to where it's not out of the realm of possibility, you know, where he could be in the big leagues at some point, you know, come May or June of next season. And I want to quickly mention before Eli goes that, and I, and I guess this could also bring up the question, but this question, but these, these guys that the Marlins are acquiring, you, you mentioned Groshans very, very similar to Edwards in terms of the strikeout percentage, walk percentage, getting on, on base at a high level, Eli and Lewis, is this the new type of player that Miami's looking for guys with high walk rate, not as much power and, just a high on base percentage with pretty low strikeout rates because 
besides this season, Edwards has not struck out as much as he did this year. I mean, 18% strikeout rate this year, never even hit 15 before this um this season in AAA where he had a down season. And I do agree with you, Lewis. I do expect him to start in AAA, but I don't see why they wouldn't let him compete out there for a shortstop spot or a starting job in general. I would like to see him at least compete out there. He will probably get the spring training invite. And he's now added to the 40 man. So yeah, yeah, we'll see what happens there with him. He he's an interesting prospect. And if this is the new type of player that Miami's looking for and it works out, then Kemeng Kemeng's pulling some nice strings here. Well, I understand the parallels between him and Groshans. Those definitely hold up in terms of his draft position, his age, his stage of his career, and the fact that he was they're buying low on him. That he's coming off what was a relatively disappointing year at AAA, playing at a new level. And um they allowed him to work through his struggles in, in Tampa Bay at AAA, but never really considered him for a call-up. So the circumstances I see are kind of similar. To me, the actual more direct comp is that he is replacing Jose Devers. That They think he is an upgrade over, over Devers. Devers, who already has a little bit of big league time, and this year was just totally thrown off by a shoulder injury that he's not been able to overcome. That injury has limited his defensive value. And also injuries have caught up to him in terms of his uh, running as well. Like in terms of the actual skill set overall, I think Edwards is a little bit closer to Devers where speed is a big part of his game. The infield versatility is a big part of his game. And you were kind of just living with the likelihood that he's not going to hit for much power. And they um, have already used up a couple of minor league options on Devers. So was Xavier Edwards, they still have all three minor league options. He could be a project. They could really take his time. You, you mentioned the possibility of opening day, but honestly, there's really no abbreviated rush. There's no rush to like bring him up. I don't think they're really talking about him as a key piece of 2023, but hoping for the best, obviously, if he makes the right adjustments, if he's happy about coming home, being a Broward guy does seem that the Marlins were the team. I'll be interested in, in talking to him soon about potentially if he did grow up as a Marlins fan and what this means coming back home. It's a nice story. We've seen a few of these though with Marlins the last few years with people with South Florida ties and ultimately nobody cares if you don't perform a little bit. So we'll find out pretty soon about that. We, we touched on Shagwa already and we're going to keep ah, saying his name is. until everybody gets it right. He's um he's a typical fastball slider reliever. He's got above average velocity uh, when he's on his game. He, he performed well with the Rays in terms of preventing runs and ERA in the low twos over the last couple of years, but he's been a journeyman before that. He's 32 years old entering next season, um, and he's out of minor league options as well. So they'll give him a shot like they did with, um, well, I guess at this time a year ago, was Lewis Head. Lewis Head, you'll remember him. He performed well in a small sample with the Rays. He came over to Miami not very much. So he's, he has the inside track at making an opening day bullpen spot and quickly for the people at home, just to make get them familiar with the players that the Marlins did trade away to actually get these acquisitions. They moved two very young pitchers, um, Santiago Suarez and uh, Marcus Johnson, who is a personal favorite of Kevin. So really quickly, Kevin, do you want to say goodbye to, to Marcus Johnson and somebody that you're intrigued about? I was very intrigued about him. It sucks that he had to go. He actually had some pretty good starts with Jupiter. I know he had a 10 strikeout game, but you know, if you if you're trying to win and you want to make these moves now, and that's what Miami saw trading, you got to trade a guy like Marcus Johnson. And I know our good buddy Alex Carver was a nice, a big fan of Santiago Suarez. So, wishing them both the best and uh, in Tampa Bay. And 
they're under pretty good development now with the Rays, and we've seen what they've been able to produce with the talent they've been able to produce. So uh, I'm excited to see what the Rays could do with these guys, and they're, they're, I think they'll be studs, but we'll see. Right. Now, related to these moves, Marlins, this is the deadline on Tuesday to protect players from the Rule 5 draft, and they did move three of those guys, all relievers, onto um, their 40-man roster, which I guess was somewhat surprising to see them dedicate all those spots to guys that are really just bullpen only at this stage of their careers. These are their numbers from AAA Jacksonville, from Josh Simpson, from George Soriano, Eli Villalobos. Players that um, I would say of all these guys, really all of them were Soriano probably heading into this year was the one that was had the most prospect stock. But Simpson, as you can see at AAA, 23 strikeouts in 12 and a third. And that's pretty much the same strikeout rate he had in AA, where both his fastball and his breaking ball have amazing swing and miss potential if he knows where he's going and he can throw strikes. And Soriano used to be a starter. They converted him to the pen. His velocity ticked up into the high 90s. He's pretty intriguing, too, with the same caveat. He has to throw strikes. Eli Villalobos, like Soriano, he's been in this organization a long time. Like he's been Rule 5 eligible before and wasn't selected. This was somewhat of a breakout year for him. It started in AA, continued at AAA. He f- finished the year extremely strong as well. And these are all three guys that they'll report to spring training. They There's no rush to put them on the opening day roster, but considering that they all had some measure of success in the upper minors, uh, you don't know. Maybe, maybe they actually do prove to be something of an improvement, of an internal improvement on a bullpen that kind of struggled in high leverage situations the last couple of years. Anything interesting about these guys stick out to you? Yeah, no, I wanted to quickly mention, I'm sorry, Lewis. I wanted to mention that. I kind of mentioned this to you guys last year that if they weren't really going to go out there and get free agent relievers, why not just upgrade internally? You have options and it definitely looks like they're maybe aiming to do that with this move of bringing Simpson via Lobos, Soriano. And correct me if I'm wrong, Eli, Soriano could have elected minor league free agency it is this season. That's something I'm a little confused about because I was pretty sure that he could have. And the timing of this, I suppose what happened is that they told him in advance of free agency that they were going to protect him. And maybe they've been just keeping this a secret for a few days now. It was last week that most of the minor league guys elected free agency and he didn't. So I imagine that is what happened here is that they let him know a little bit in advance that they were going to protect him. Yeah, and as you can see, Simpson and Villalobos haven't, didn't spend too much time in AAA, but uh, Soriano did, and you guys know I love Soriano, and he's he's killed it this year, 2-4-9 ERA, and the strikeout numbers are extremely high. He only walked 23 guys, so it's not bad, not bad numbers, and he I think he'll definitely have a shot at the, at the bullpen this season. All three guys I do believe will have a very good shot at it. I mean, especially if they do look to upgrade internally, Eli, as we mentioned, I think they'll do more trading, and besides free agent signings, we've kind of all gotten to that conclusion. And that is, I believe, is that Via Lobos or that's Via Lobos and that's Soriano? Simpson is the lefty, that's Soriano, the Dominican guy, and that's Via Lobos. That's Via Lobos? Okay. There he we go. Well, a um, pitcher for the um, former pitcher for the Brewers and the uh, Blue Jays delivery. I'm blanking on his name, but. I mean, that's, t- I mean, I'm looking at like Taylor Rogers right there. That's the kind of delivery I see in Via Lobos. And Soriano has closer stuff too. Marco Estrada is the picture that I'm thinking of right there. There you go. 
from the right side, throwing that nasty changeup. Um, I definitely think if the Marlins don't have the ability to sign free agent relievers, I mean, we saw them already miss out on a guy like Rafael Montero that me and Kevin were interested in, maybe not on the terms that the Astros gave him. They, I think fans should feel confident knowing that they at least have some internal options that can provide some cost-effective value. I definitely wouldn't be shocked if one of those guys does come out, have a great spring, and make the team out of spring training. But I, you know, you you were talking about Soriano, Kev. The strikeout numbers of the three, I think, are the least impressive, though the stuff, I think, is incredibly, like, projectable. Um, The command with him and Simpson is one thing you need to look at. I mean, like, if you look at the fan graph rating for Simpson, he's, you know, mid to high 90s, but the control is, like, something that, could make him a great reliever if he's able to improve on that a little bit. Other than that, you know, he's just one of those stuff only guys who could just miss bats. But, you know, if he's a fastball slider guy out of the pen with a, with, even if that K's per nine is like 11 or 12, he's not going to strike out 17 per nine in the big leagues. Like that's, you know, you'll take that seven days out of seven, right? They're a pitching first. And I feel like they've always been a pitching first organization and, Again, something to feel confident about, I think, as we move into 23. Yeah. Well, that's a nice way of putting it, pitching first. I would say pitching only organization. Yeah. That's, that's the problem. Sure. Is that the other side of the ball is an issue. We wanted to finish off this segment just looking also at all the players that got squeezed off. So they acquired Shagwa and Edwards. They elevated to the 40-man Simpson, Soriano, and via Lobos, and that means five guys had to get squeezed off the 40 man. Those five guys, Jose Devers, Lewin Diaz, Nick Neidert, Jeff Brigham, Eliezer Hernandez. And we'll find out in the coming days whether they're able to extract any trade value out of these players. Um, I would say that Eliezer was expected given his pay raise coming up, that Nick Neidert was also expected because they DFA'd him at the beginning Very of the year, early on, and he was able to actually make it through. And so hopefully that proves true again that he makes it through Jeff Brigham. He's been DFA'd in the past and he made it through. He had a nice comeback story from an injury. And I touched on Devers already um, as well for people that need a refresher. He was the last piece still remaining from the Giancarlo Stanton trade. He was just a little baby when they got him from the Yankees. And now we'll see Uh, potentially he, he clears waivers. He's still so young and there's still some upside there. So we'll wait to see how that plays out. The one we want to focus on here is Lewin Diaz because we know statistically by the eye test how off the charts good he is as a defender at first base. One of the very best in baseball, maybe the very best in baseball defensively, only at first base. And on the offensive side, his bat has just not clicked whatsoever against major league pitching. So I'll start with you, Lewis, on, on Lewin about the timing of this. You know, he was out of options, and they gave him a pretty long leash at the end of last year that he didn't do anything with. Is this fair timing for him? Should they have given him a slightly longer leash to see if he could put it all together? What do you think? Listen, I think what, what's the old adage about first base? You can hide a bad defender at first base. Um, but it's yeah. not every day that a defender of his caliber is playing first base. That is down the line, and Lewin makes another slick play. That would have been extra bases and a run. Lewin Diaz. Uh, at the end of the day, if you're hitting 181 over 
parts of three seasons. You can be Mark Belanger for baseball historians. They're a historically great defensive shortstop. But if you're not hitting, you know, like the value, your defense is going to your defensive value is going to mitigate, you know, a lot of your overall value. And the Marlins' biggest issue was their inability to score runs. They were a middle of the pack team, even with Lewin playing extended time there by run prevention by on a DRS scale. So, uh, you know, if they sacrifice some defense to get, you know, a first baseman like a Brandon Belt, who, again, is still a very good defender, or a Jose Abreu, it's something you can live with. Um, I definitely think it further clouds the idea of this team having a first baseman moving forward. And on, unfortunately, they traded him for, was it Sergio Romo in the 2020 season? Yeah, the Marlins lost a Sergio Romo for Lewin Diaz trade by a war traded standpoint. They got 0.1 war in parts of three seasons with Lewin, and the Twins got 0.4 over parts of two with the Twins. Not a big, you know, mullig, uh, thing to hang your hat on, I guess, in a bad way. But, yeah, the bats just never manifested itself. I mean, we've seen, though, he does have the ability to put the ball out of the ballpark, but he doesn't walk enough. Um, you know, there's just from a first baseman, like it's not, you know, you can't build a team around a guy or even supplement a roster with a guy who just can't hit again, no matter how great he is. Like if, even if he were hitting like a Kevin Kiermeyer where he's like an average to slightly below average hitter, maybe, but I think the positional demands from your, from an offensive standpoint, and then just where he is it, it i mean it's fine like you you can weather the loss of a guy like this regardless of how good a glove he is yeah it's a tough loss i mean i think we could all agree Lewin is an amazing defender it was just a bad it never translated from triple a which we saw 19 homers a pretty good i mean batting average as you mentioned lewis that kevin around that kevin kiermaier range 252 323 pretty high on base percentage as well uh, he the only issue was, I guess, the strikeouts. You could definitely mention that 31% strikeout rate in the big leagues, 20% in the minors. Uh, yeah, it's just a, a, a tough one there. You would have thought maybe that Miami got an out a pretty good player in Lewin Diaz, someone who you could feel good about on both ends. But you know, if the bat doesn't translate, they give him a long leash, as Eli mentioned, not only last year, but not only this season, but last season, they also gave him 40 games to go out there and. See if he could prove himself, and he hit 205. So um, I guess we could go a little bit deeper into this Lewin situation because they did not protect Troy Johnston. That's the other name that right. was Rule 5 eligible. They did not protect Troy Johnston. They did not keep Lewin. I assume Lewin gets picked up by a team. I'd be a little bit surprised if he doesn't. But, um, yeah, that's, I guess, the other we could go with this, that Miami not only has one first baseman technically on the roster, and that's Garrett Cooper, who – I know had trade interest last season, this last season in the uh, trade deadline. So we don't know if they'll move him or not. But uh, I guess if you want to consider another first baseman, Charles LeBlanc, he played at some first base towards the end of the year, did it in AAA. If yep. Miami looks to go that way and use him kind of as a super utility, I guess. But this also opens that case pool where Miami could look into free agents of Brandon Belt, Jose Abreu, which I know was mentioned by Joe Fasar the other day, I believe very recently. So. Eli or Lewis, I mean, what are your thoughts on this now? Possibility of signing a free agent for a spaceman or maybe they even trade for one. Who knows? I wanted to touch on Troy Johnston that you brought him up. That yeah. was the biggest surprise of the day probably overall is that they didn't protect the guy who's been 
arguably the very best hitter in their minor league system over the last three years, Troy yeah. Johnson. In turn, he's been productive at every level, I guess, until the very end of the season when he reached AAA, he slumped. Prior to that, uh, he had one of the hottest stretches for Marlins prospect in recent memory at AA Pensacola in the middle of the year. He he checks like all the boxes in terms of being a very safe hitter as somebody that swings to the right pitches, gets on base, occasionally hits for power. Um, he was a super late round draft pick, and he was not a much of a prospect at all coming out of school at a Gonzaga. He has just produced at such a consistent level with every assignment they've given him that I thought for a team that is so desperate for bats, just to rewind, they used all of their promotions, all their rule five protections for all guys that were relievers. Um, and so maybe we point to that as encouraging signs that these pitchers are getting better and maybe they will be effective in the big leagues. But the bottom line is that uh, they put so much of their attention on the arms and for a team that is desperate for an influx of homegrown hitters that they're not going to give Troy Johnson a chance unless potentially he doesn't get picked. So they are, this is a gamble by them or Troy is still in the organization, at least for the next few weeks. And the question is whether he gets selected in the major league phase of the rule five draft. We'll just have to wait to find out exactly how that goes. As you touched on Garrett Cooper is still here. He is still a trade candidate. And even though Anthony Rizzo has signed, there are still some intriguing first baseman in free agency. There's at least one first baseman on the trade market, potentially that we're going to talk about in just a few minutes in an aisle four of oh. offseason shopping. So it's a question of, whether they trust Cooper to play first base on a consistent basis, which even last year he didn't do. He was alternating between first base and DH or whether they are preparing to make a real investment in a proven free agent or trade target of some kind, whether they actually don't feel that their first base solution is in the organization. So just to circle back to Lewin, finally, um, I would have given him more time. I would have wanted to see what he looks like with a new coaching staff and probably just as important, I wanted to see what he looked like with the shift being restricted moving forward. He is a lefty pole hitter who I think is on the short list of players that would benefit from shifts going away in the future. And we didn't get to see that. So it was frustrating that he did so well at AAA the last couple of years and that for whatever reason he came up to the majors. Um, I thought that the batting average would be low, that there'd be some limitations. The surprise was that the swing and miss was so high as it was striking out nearly 30% of the time. Uh, that's, it's just a head scratcher for somebody like him that has a, so much natural hitting ability who showed in the minors a lot of times that he could hit lefties and he comes up to the show and it doesn't translate whatsoever. I, they could regret this one a little bit just because of the defense he already has. I understand it. And ultimately we're just going to have to see what they do at first base. You know, if the alternative is a lot better then and I'm on board with it in the meantime, it puts themselves um, in a pretty depressing situation where this player that was once for a brief moment regarded as among their very best prospects is now uh, basically worthless in the market. And the fact that he, we reached this point, it's um, I would not have seen that coming. I would not. I don't think anybody would have seen him going, losing so much of his value in such a short amount of time. And the only thing I'll say is, if Miami somehow gets lucky and keeps Lewin, 
I doubt it, but if you know somehow they do and he makes one another appearance in the big leagues, I would like to see him with the new coaching staff because that coaching staff that they're building is pretty promising. I'll, I'll just say that, and if Lewis has anything else to say, but we'll see. Yeah, um, I could totally see him being selected by a team like the Rays, even a guy like Troy Johnson. It's so dichotomous that they would get rid of a guy like Johnston or at least like not protect him, and then you also <clears> get rid of um diaz i mean because theoretically you could have had another platoon if johnson would have made the big league roster say to spring training say he or he started the year in triple a hit well and came up say like how we've talked about edwards you could have had like a first base kind of platoon again where you're you're kind of move operating you're moving uh lay win at in and you're moving johnson in you're kind of shuffling those two guys and i listen like given the expectations that have always kind of been placed on first base and how you kind of want that to be your bopper position, or at least one of your positions where you're getting a lot of your offensive output. If the Marlins enter 2023 with out a free agent first baseman or, and having the likelihood of like having Cooper, who's a good hitter, but he's injury prone and LeBlanc is your primary options. And maybe Miguel Rojas and the off chance that he gets like those late inning games there. You're I partially you're you're partially gonna be conceding another year of your um competitive window. I, I think they that if you're going to do this, and we've said this, we've previewed this, you, if you're going to rid yourself of a projectable guy in Johnston and a guy in Diaz who if nothing else gives you defense, again, you can weather that storm. You're going to have to go out and you're going to have to sign somebody unless this is going to look terrible. I could totally see Troy. You could name 10 big league teams right now that would have Troy Johnson on their big league roster opening day next year. And he's one of those guys that strikes me because of the overall profile. You look at the slash line, he's an 810 OPS guy in the minors. He could go to Detroit. He could go to Milwaukee. He can even go to Tampa. And that guy could legitimately produce because he offers so much in the way from a bat of a hitting perspective. I like for me, for them to kind of let this guy go. And meanwhile, also letting Lewin go. It's like, pick your poison. Like, are you going to sacrifice defense to get Johnson's offense? Or are you going to sacrifice offense and get Lewin's defense? It, you know, it's like putting your left shoe on your right foot. It doesn't necessarily make all that much sense. We'll take this opportunity to mention to people that earlier this year, Troy came on Fish Stripes Unfiltered. So if you are watching this on YouTube, if you're listening to this wherever you get your pods, you can find our interview that Kevin and Isaac Azut did with Troy earlier this year. He was an extremely nice guy, aside from being what we think is a very productive ball player as well. So from here, we will pivot to what we planned to do originally, which is Marlins off-season shopping, aisle four. And we were able to improvise this episode a bit just because at this point in this aisle, it's um, it's slim pickings at this point. We were working our way up from players based on how they produced last year in terms of win wins above replacements. And at this point, there are the biggest names in the world out there who produced at least five wins above replacement last season, but we want to keep this realistic. We don't want to waste your time. We don't want to focus on players that they have zero chance of acquiring unless Bruce Sherman 
sells half of his fortune. He's not going to sign Aaron Judge in free agency. (laughs) He's not going to be able to pry away via trade Mike Trout or Shohei Otani, anybody in that category as well. There are other players that simply won't be traded within the division who are elite players as well. There's only a few players that we felt are in this category of performance that can also be potential fits for the Marlins aisle for Marlins offseason shopping. If you're looking for the previous aisles, again, you can find those wherever you get your pods. We've covered several dozen players already, and only a couple of them are off the market. As we talked about, Anthony Rizzo is somebody that we circled, but he unfortunately for the Marlins, he's staying with the Yankees on a two-year deal. One of my favorite guys, Robert Suarez, he inked a five-year deal to stay in San Diego. And you know what? I think deals like that Suarez deal may have motivated some of these roster moves in terms of protecting your relievers who are going to be earning the league minimum. When they see that setup men essentially are earning as much long-term security and as much annual salary as someone like Suarez is, it makes you realize that, well, maybe it's worth a shot with one of our own guys if they turn into half the pitcher that they are while earning just a a tiny slice of them salary-wise, then that's going to be a more efficient way to build a team. That's uh, that's how it works when we do the series in the middle of the actual offseason is that you get some key takeaways from other business that is happening around the league. Only going to cover a few players here. Uh, maybe we should just start with the one that I know we, we kind of are all on the same page about, and that would be former New York Mets, current free agent, center fielder Brandon Nimmo. Uh, this is a guy that I think the majority of teams are going to be expressing some kind of type of interest in Nimmo. He is an on-base machine, and when he is on base, he's a uh, he's a very uh, he's a very uh, efficient base runner. I should say he has improved defensively through the years at center field. I don't even think he was thought of as a serious center fielder coming up through the Mets system. Nope. He's gotten better and better at that as he's advanced in his career. There are some injury concerns. There are some inconsistencies with his power output, uh, but the bottom line is that his ability to reach base around 40% of the time, year in and year out, sets such a high floor for him as a player. On top of that, he is at a stage of his career, I think he's going to be 30 years old next year, where you can be cautiously optimistic that he's going to sustain the five-war level of performance that he just had in 2022 for the foreseeable future the Mets are going to want him back he is attached with a qualifying offer and we know that the Marlins uh the kind of contract that he's going to be looking for is one that the Marlins have not given out under Bruce Sherman's ownership tenure do we think Kevin that they are going to bust out of their comfort zone and potentially get in the race for somebody like Nimmo in order to fill that gaping hole they have in center field I would love to know that Miami would do that, but it's just highly unlikely. And it's crazy because out of all the options we'll probably mention today, this may be the most realistic one. I know Lewis has one that he'll mention, but that may be more realistic than Nimmo. But this is definitely a guy who's going to get around 90 to 100 million in the, in the market. This guy had an all-star season just by the numbers. I guess the only uncertainty we could have with Nimmo is that he's never played this amount of games in his, in his career. I think the last time he did that was, I want to say, 2019 or 2018. I'll look it up now. But Nimmo is one guy who would fill the center field um, 
void that Miami has. And you mentioned it, Eli, that this is a guy who really never was considered a center fielder coming up in the free agent market. And now he's able to do it with the Mets. And it's just been crazy. And he, shoot, wrong stats there. But um, yeah, and you meant, and look at the percentiles. It's just crazy how good he's been. And you look at past seasons, and yeah, although they've been cut short by injuries, they've never been this good. And he's a very solid player. I love Brandon Nemo. I do believe he's the perfect fit for Miami. Uh, he would automatically be the best hitter, maybe behind Jazz or over Jazz. Who cares? But this is a guy who also hits for a good contact, high base percentage. Uh, he walks at a 10%, strikes out only hit 17. So... Yeah, this is the first time he plays over 150 games. The last time he did it was in 2018. He played 140. So I love this fit for Miami. It makes all the sense in the world. 16 homers, 64 RBIs. It makes a lot of sense. Miami really should go out of their comfort zone for this type of a player. And there you go, all his stats there. Yeah, and only only uncertainty with this guy is the injuries. But I'll let Lewis get a little bit deeper on stats. Yeah, so I mean, it's you know Kevin kind of and Eli kind of touched on it. You look at the look at the OPS plus. He's you know he's thirty percent above average for his career, and that's over a six hundred game sample over parts of seven years. Um, you were talking about Eli. The Marlins have never shelved out a contract like what Nimmo is likely expecting. I think at the outset of the off season, we were projecting maybe five and somewhere in the range of one hundred and ten to one hundred and twenty million. I'm going to give you guys a name of a guy who signed a free agent deal, also was at the time a center fielder. Uh, Eli, may I remember this guy, Shinsu Chu. In the two mm. seasons preceding free agency, Shinsu Chu had an 850 OPS, an 8.2 baseball reference war, an adjusted OPS plus of 138. In the two seasons that Brandon Nimmo has played, albeit in less games, Proceeding free agency. Nimo has an 814 OPS, 8.5 baseball reference war, and a 130 adjusted OPS plus. So you kind of know what you're getting. You're getting a guy who's going to be about 30% above league average. And a lot of that is going to be because of his ability to see pitches and get on base via the walk. He had, I always felt like he was a guy that had more power and just never tapped into it. And I was also shocked to know that he had only stolen three bases. I believe I was covering a game in September with Noah, one of our um, associates here at Fish Stripes, and Nimmo had stolen his first base of the season. It was like mid-September, and I was literally had his Savant page open, and I'm like, this guy is in like the 90th percentile in sprint speed. That could be an element of his game that may play up more with the new rules that pitchers can only throw back twice per plate appearance next year. I think maybe... Um, the only thing that could prevent that would be the extensive injury history. Um, but back to Chu and the Nimmo comparison, you have the middling power, which I think both of them possess, though Chu was a slightly better home run hitter. Um, then you also have the fact that Chu got a seven-year deal in the range of $130 million. Yes. I think that Nimmo, realistically, some team, if they really want him and they really need a table setter because I think he is the perfect guy to maybe hit at the top of your lineup because I think he can run more because he gets on base, um, he could get a deal that approaches, if not slightly exceeds, $130 million over, say, five or six years. Whether or not the Marlins do that, I don't know. 
I've said a million times that the biggest issue that this team has had when it comes to scoring runs is their inability to get on base. I've spoken ad nauseum about their 294 collective on base percentage. Um, if you want to address that, then you need to go out and get a guy who, as Eli said, has always been a consistent 400 OBP threat. And Nimmo has been that. I mean, in a smaller sense, he's kind of hit like Nolan Arenado if you, from an OPS and an adjusted OPS plus standpoint, whereas both Nimmo and Arenado in their first taste of big league baseball, their first respective seasons, were both about 17 to 20% below league average. And ever since then, they've been about 30%, if not more, above league average. Um, yeah, so you're going to have to pay a premium, but you're also going to be paying for a skill set that is so hard to teach in a guy. Um, he's, like you said, Eli, he's become a better center fielder. Um, when he came up, he was more of a corner guy that you'd maybe stick in left field or, you know, would occasionally play in right. But now he's become an average to um, slightly above average center fielder. And for you know, Eli has the graphic on the screen. You can see how similar the two players that Ch that Chu and Nimmo are, especially if you isolate the two seasons ahead of free agency for them, 2021 20, and 22 for Nimmo and 12 and 13 for Chu. It gives you an idea of maybe what he'll get um, from a dollars per year standpoint. But yeah, I, I mean, he is the most realistic guy because he fits the most realistic need. And I don't He'll be expensive, but I don't think it'll be a bank breaker, though it would be a record from uh, Marlon's perspective in terms of free agency. Let me really quickly get the last two seasons up there because that comparison is spot on. I don't know how you came up with that because this is remarkable. I mean, those two seasons before free agency, both eight win players. The slash line is almost identical, except for the, the slugging is a little bit higher with you. The on base is a little bit higher with you. And I think that's goes into the estimation that the contract for Chu is going to be a little bit higher than what Nimmo ultimately gets. What works in Nimmo's favor, um, I suppose, is whether teams trust him in center field moving forward. Chu was playing a center field entering his walk year, and then as soon as he got to Texas, they moved him into the corners, and he ended up doing a lot of DHing as well. With the Marlins in particular, you know they'll give him every chance to play center if they were to acquire him as well yeah ultimately i don't think this is going to happen uh because obviously of what all the competition is going to be and we think this team they have plenty of opportunities to trade for center fielders this offseason ultimately if they settle for a trade i don't think they're going to get anybody that's as complete a player as nimmo is right now so this is optimistic thinking but that's what we're doing here in this final aisle is you know shooting for the stars a little bit and trying to approve the team kevin do you want to take us through who was that other guy that you had picked out you could take us through your case for him i think it was was it xander bogarts do we want to spend time with xander bogarts i mean I'll, I'll just quickly shout him out he's not going to be a marlin neither is the other guy i mentioned i'm not even going to mention him but it was Car I, I the only other two names i really had just for fun mainly was bogarts and carlos correa but i'm not going to mention much carlos correa that's never going to happen um bogarts yeah 307 batting average through 77 obp 456 slugging a 33 ops 15 homers 73 rbis do lose a little bit defense but i mean to sacrifice defense you need to have good offense and that is exactly what xander bogarts will provide for you 
max exit velos, as you can see on the percentiles, pretty good. It's kind of a down year when it comes to percentile rankings, but um, besides that, Bogarts is a really dang good player, and you pair him up in the in the in the infield there with Jazz Chisholm. You can you can market it. He's from Aruba, I believe that is in the Caribbean. So I guess you could say close to home, kind of in in a way. He probably would have family down there, and it's an upgrade over Miguel Rojas. You could put Miggy as your as a utility player in that case. Bogarts, I believe, is in what in his late twenties, early thirties, if 30. anything. Thirty exactly. So you would have him for a couple of years. Now this is obviously a zero percent chance of happening, unless, as Eli mentioned, Bruce Sherman goes out of his comfort zone. But we'll see what happens. Um, Bogarts definitely going to get a big deal with a team um, that actually does spend. And uh, I know we've heard the Phillies, the Yankees have shown interest in Bogarts. So we'll see where he goes. But I just wanted to mention because I know. This is a player that we mentioned, I believe, last season, 2022, about trading for at some point if if the price was right. So I wanted to shout him out one last time before seeing him sign an apps a massive deal. Yeah, he was from 20. So here's a fun stat on Bogarts. We're not going to sign him. And I mean, you know, that's just, you know, you're drinking truth serum when you say that. Just going back, though, to 2018, and again, this is just to kind of give him his dues for how great of an offensive shortstop he is. We know, like you mentioned, Kevin, his um, shortcomings as a defender. He's averaged 5.6 baseball reference war since the start of 2019, if you exclude the 2020 season, where he was still on pace for a prorated 4.6 baseball reference war. If you go back to 2018, he's been about a five-win player at shortstop. And you can make the case that, you know, this next deal could be the deal that helps him pad the stats enough to where we're talking about a future Hall of Famer. Like, this is a guy who is nearing 40 wins above replacement. Um, he's never been beloved as a shortstop defensively, but the bat is such that I think he's like the closest thing that we have to Derek Jeter, where he's going to consistently hit over 300. He'll flirt with 20 home runs and, you know, like you're going to take the lumps with the glove. But if you look at his percentile rankings going back to 2021, it was almost like a Juan Soto thing where Juan Soto in 2021 or 2020 was in the first percentile and out above average. And then he was the following year in the 90th. Bogarts was in the first percentile last year and this year jumped all the way up to the 88th percentile. And I believe he was actually worth, I believe, three or four runs uh, by DRS. The arm strength, though, um, that's the thing. The Marlins don't have an answer at shortstop. And this, just even if, you know, theoretically you do sign him to a six or a seven-year deal, you're signing him with knowing that after three or four years that he is likely going to have to move the way that Corey Seager will in Texas to third base. He played third base when he came up with the Red Sox. He even played, I believe, his first full season. He was a primary third baseman because they had re-signed Stephen Drew. Um, and you'd think maybe he would play a little bit better there. I don't think he'll become Manny Machado at third base if that's eventually where he winds up. But, yeah, I just wanted to give him his due. I did want to talk about Carlos Correa, though, before I get into another guy. Again, I'm not saying that the Marlins will sign him, though I did pen a piece for Fish Stripes last year where I thought that the time may have been now for them to really explore the idea of signing him. And this is the thing. So I gave you guys that comparison with Chu and um, Brandon Nimmo. I want to give you a comparison to Correa in terms of the deal that I think he'll command. Um, 
And it's Nolan Arenado's deal. So Nolan Arenado signed with the Rockies in 2019, two years before he was traded, or a year and a half or so, before he went to St. Louis at the end of the 20 season. So an eight-year, $260 million deal. Here is the comps for those two over the last two seasons. Arenado and Correa both have a adjusted OPS plus of 135. They have Arenado has 12 baseball reference war, 12.7 for Correa. Arenado has a win less of defensive value by war. Again, shortstop third baseman. It's a different, it's a different ball game. Um, batting runs. They are literally identical. 54.6 for Arenado, 54.3 for Correa. Batting wins the exact same. 5.4. Correa is four years younger than Arenado, and we just saw him opt out of a three-year, 105. It was a $105 million deal with the Minnesota Twins that he had signed. So he's going to likely – I wrote down something in the range of nine and 350 just because of postseason pedigree, age. Um, the only concern with Arenado, like or uh, Correa, like Nimmo, is the injury history. Arenado, uh, Correa does have the history of recurring back issues. Um, he missed some time this year, but still was a five-win player for the Twins, all while continuing to play great shortstop. And, you know, he hit 22 home runs. He just, you know, he's just a terrific overall player. I think of the shortstops on the market, that's the guy that maybe commands the most money. That would be the guy that if Marlins fans, you know, are hoping for a shortstop, hold out for him. Maybe, but you're not going to – I mean, like, realistically, like, the chances of him signing are almost akin to what they are for Judge coming here. It's like for what he does, for what he is at his respective position, there's no way that he's going to wind up here. But it is worth noting that if the Marlins were to go out and acquire this guy, that it would cost them – you you would blow out Stanton's um, total value in the contract by at least $20 million. Like, Correa is going to – get a 300 million to 330 plus million dollar deal. And, you know, even if it's not the Marlins, he's going to get it regardless because that's just the kind of player that he has become and has been. I mean, he's another guy like Bogarts. You're talking about an eventual possible future hall of famer. If he keeps up what he's doing now. I have a good pivot from here. This is the one player I didn't tell you about here in my aisle that I want to talk about. He fits in the same war range remarkably uh i don't know how i think that catches a lot of people by surprise that tommy edmund of the cardinals was a six win player this past year largely because of his defense um a hundredth percentile and outs above average Uh, i think he won the gold glove in 2021 but in 2022 you could argue that he was even better and he did that while playing a bunch of different positions second base shortstop uh, in the outfield, occasionally at third base. He goes all over the place with the Cardinals. He was primarily their leadoff hitter this past season, but I think it shows you both his limitations as a hitter and also the depth of the Cardinals team that there were times that they dropped him all the way to ninth in their lineup, despite him being this supremely valuable player. Overall, he is an amazing base runner. He was one of John Birdie's closest competitors for the national league stolen base crown this past year he still has three more years of club control on the cardinals and he is let's see 27 years old yeah he's gonna turn 28 in may um i bring him up because the cardinals 
are coming off another good year, another very profitable year, coming off a year where they should have some financial flexibility. Like I think they're a team that could go out there and just sign one of these shortstops that we brought up. I think they have a better chance of signing Bogarts or even Correa, probably not Correa, probably a little bit down shopping on a slightly less expensive aisle, but they could go out and buy a star caliber shortstop to complement their team because of the major league talent. They already have at a bunch of other positions. Also because their farm system is pretty loaded at the higher levels as well. They're going to have some homegrown guys that they can rely upon at other positions. So I bring up Tommy Edmond uh, because as a trade candidate for a Cardinals team that could buy some more bats in their lineup and could kind of afford to potentially deal somebody like Edmund selling at what would probably be the peak of his value coming off this amazing season that he had where he's still so far away from free agency. They could trade him to the Marlins to get the one thing that the Cardinals are probably most worried about, which is their rotation depth. Like these are two teams that were, I think mentioned very logically as potential trade partners in the middle of last season because of the questions that the Cardinals have with the rotation. Adam Wainwright is in entering the final year of his career and obviously getting up there in age. The Cardinals have had some unfortunate setbacks with some of their own young pitching, such as Jack Flaherty, not being able to overcome some of his injuries to get back to the form he had early in their career. If there was a deal, Pablo Lopez for Tommy Edmond straight up, that'd be a very fun challenge trade to me. I think maybe the Cardinals would be uncomfortable with that. I think they would think long and hard about a one-on-one for that type of situation. If the, they're in a position where they can simply buy more bats to fill out their team, and if they have an opportunity to trade for, whether it's Pablo, whether it's Luzardo, whether it's one of these other controllable starters that the Marlins have somewhat of a surplus of, I think there's a, I think it's a long shot. But I can see a creative deal where the Marlins get somebody like Edmund to play whatever, whatever position they need him to play, being the the very best utility player in baseball or to just like settle in at one spot, whether he's going to be their shortstop. He could be their shortstop on an everyday basis, whether he plays third base. They could he could do that. He could handle that and he can help them there. Not a perfect player. But what he does, he does at the very top of the scale as a defender, as a base runner, as a contact hitter with some pretty decent power, uh, even relative to his size. So he's, he had an extraordinary year. You expect him to come back down to earth a little bit moving forward, yet he'd still be immensely valuable and versatile. What do you think about Tommy Edmund? I like it. I like it. I did not know he'd produce that much war this year, but... He hit well, well enough, you know, to, well, actually, he hit pretty damn good, 265. But, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's the first play that comes to mind when you say, what do the Cardinals want, Eli? I mean, you mentioned Pablo. Maybe Pablo and a lower-tier prospect just to sweeten the pot a little bit for St. Louis to see if they would be willing to, you know, get rid of a guy like Tommy Edmond. And you do mention that they would be in the market for shortstops. You could also mention maybe Dansby Swanson in that market if, if needed be, but I I like this a lot. Miami would have their shortstop of the future, and what is he? Only he is 27, so you could say he's in the prime of his career right now, and as you mentioned, peak value. So I think this is a really nice acquisition if Miami does do it, and I know we've mentioned St. Louis and Miami's trade partners for at least a good portion of this year with Pablo rumors and 
possibly other pitchers going out, out out the door with for Miami. So, and they have and yeah, um, Cardinals had to trade for Jose Quintana. They they had to make a couple moves here and there with Jordan, Mon- you know, acquiring Jordan Montgomery. So they would, they definitely need pitching. They would still need it because this is, I believe, Adam Wainwright's final year. So you, if you're trading for a guy like Pablo, you have him for another year of control, and you can maybe look to extend him then. So. And that goes without any other pitcher on the Marlins rotation that isn't Sandy Alcantara. So I like this a lot, but uh, I would like to get Lewis's thoughts. I, I mean, I loved Tommy Edmund, and I I know Eli's always kind of been high on him. I'm not surprised. I'm sure you've mentioned him, your affinity from a point previous this year. Yeah, wasn't he an all-star snub at some point this year? And he was like an – he was a dark horse. I think he's going to get some down-ballot MVP votes too. Like just, yeah, when you're hitting the way that he is, the only – you know, thing that you that scares me with him is the noted offensive struggles at times. Um, the Marlins traded for a guy slightly similar to this in Joey Wendell, though I think Wendell's not as great of a player. I think, um, God, um, yeah, Edmund walks at a better rate, and though he does have defensive versatility like uh, Wendell does, but. Um, yeah, Edmund, Edmund's just such an exciting player. The ability to, you know, he has power in him. Um, the thing is, is like you could, like you said, he like you could plug him in as your everyday shortstop and not feel bad about that. He's one of those super utility guys where, like a Wendell, who was excellent at both third and second base, or was it shortstop and third and not uh, third base, you would feel comfortable if you played second, but you don't want to do that because you have Jazz. You can play him a shortstop. You can even spell him in the outfield. He's like if John Birdie's bat was a lot more consistent. Um, in terms of what you get for him, I definitely think Pablo is like the starting point in that conversation. Absolutely. Uh, Pablo's a free agent, what, at the end of 2024? 20, is it the end of 2023? So you get two years of Pablo Lopez at most 60-plus starts. You would also, you know, I would think maybe you would have to trade another pitcher. Maybe one of those relievers is something that they do. We've seen their ability or I guess their inability to figure out Jordan Hicks post Tommy John. So do they want a Soriano in a trade? Is it worth parting with a guy like Edmund who's going to give you average to slightly above average offense with the defense that he clearly has, that's he clearly has? Um, I think it's worth parting with a starter and a reliever. I don't really see all that much there, but to be to be honest with you, knowing the Cardinals, I wouldn't be surprised if he commands three players in a trade. It's just he's such a player that you know the Cardinals asking price for him may be high if they're willing to part with him. They just lost Paul DeYoung. They just got rid of Paul DeYoung, who never really who didn't work out for them long term. So he may be their shortstop if they don't sign a guy. Um, yeah. It could be a market that would ha- be slow to develop because if they if they are in on a shortstop, we you know they would have to sign somebody and then have a trade in place for Edmund. But you know it remains to be seen. And I love the Cardinals team as a whole when you think of it, just their defense because they have a ton of Gold Glovers. I mean, Paul Goldschmidt, you have Nolan Arenado, Tommy Edmund. I know they have one of the best defensive outfields in the league. So getting one of those guys is definitely going to boost the defense as a whole. So some of those plays that were muffled this year by the Marlins or muffed, you're definitely going to see an improvement, at least on that end of the shortstop for Tommy Edmund and wherever else you play him, because I know he's a utility guy. So wherever you play him, you'll definitely get an upgrade, a huge, huge upgrade, therefore, in the infield. 
Yeah, outside the box, I'm sure they love him over there. They're not going to let him go easily. It had to be very creative. Again, contingent on the Cardinals doing something else out uh, independent of this to kind of solidify themselves at shortstop. They're not going to create a big question mark for themselves where they're still in the middle of a contention. I, I think this could happen. I think this could happen. And it's uh, it's sort of outside the box, but... I think these teams do match up well one way or another, whether it's on a much lower scale between the Cardinals and the Marlins. It's been a few years since they've made a trade with one another. So I think they're overdue for something like this. But Lewis, I know you have one other player for sure that we wanted to touch on here. So give them to us. If you want to, I guess, amend foregoing the defense of Lewin Diaz for an established big leaguer and you want to resort to the frugality that the Marlins are accustomed to doing, then why not go for a guy like Christian Walker? Offensively, I think he's very similar to Garrett Cooper. And on a rate stat basis, he may slightly be um, less of a productive offensive player. I believe there's like a five-point differential in OPS+. Plus. But... He's Garrett Cooper with the durability. And at the end of the day, you can hit a 1,000, but if you play t- one game, it, it ain't going to mean anything, right? Um, you need to be on the field to produce. Walker has power. He is an excellent defender. I believe he won the goal glove this year at first base. He, you know, He's in Arizona. I think he only has one more year of club control, if I'm not mistaken. Or, no, he's he have, actually has club control with him through 2024. The only thing that could make it beyond him having such a great year, he was a five-win player. That's why he's on this list. The only thing that could make him difficult to, I think, pry away from Arizona is the fact that, like St. Louis, but to a slightly lesser degree, they have a burgeoning young core in what could be a new era for Diamondbacks baseball. We saw the end, the, um, well, baseball world kind of get introduced on a larger scale to Corbin Carroll, speedy guy who looks to be in their outfield for years to come. Jake McCarthy, fourth in the rookie of the year voting. Um, Alec Thomas, who we've talked about before as a trade candidate. Obviously, Zach Gowan. Marlon fans don't like hearing that name because of the uh, the memories that it uh, brings up. Ketel Marte, who is locked up there for a long time. And then Walker. Walker being another piece of that, you know, possible – competitive puzzle, say 2023 is not their year, they want to compete next year. That can make him a little bit harder to acquire, but I think personally, like he'd be an easier guy to get than Edmund. Obviously he doesn't offer you in the way of defensive versatility, but he gives you power and he gives you defense. And to be honest, you know, he owns a, what is it? A 780, but a 784 OPS is what he posted this year. If Lewin Diaz manifested to be that with the defense that he has, Marlon fans would be okay with it. I don't think he wouldn't be among the better offensive first baseman in the big leagues, but because of the glove, I think he would be immensely valuable because he's hitting enough to justify him being in that lineup on a daily basis. I think that's what you would get with a guy like Walker, and I don't think he would be um, expensive to extend either just because I don't think he, you know, he's not a guy who I see, you know, getting a big deal in free agency should he, you know, when he hits that in a couple of years. But I think he would be the perfect replacement for Lewin if you don't want to spend the money 
Um, you don't want, and you don't want to sacrifice anything in the way of defense, all while upgrading your offense. I think it's a win-win in that regard. And this is a team that you can maybe even trade pitching to, which which is what they need. I mean, when you look at their rotation, yeah, you have Merrill Kelly, you have Zach Allen, but after that, you really don't have anything too crazy. Yeah, maybe you have Mad Bum, but besides that, I mean, maybe they they would like an Edward Cabrera. You trade an Edward Cabrera or Braxton Garrett over to Arizona, and that would they would definitely and you would ask for Christian Walker, not one for one. Miami maybe would have to give up a little bit more, but uh, Edward Cabrera maybe on that team would would be a nice fit I, I agree with everything you said lewis makes a lot of sense he does push just a little bit less than garrett cooper offensively but i mean if you're getting good defense from a guy like christian walker you can sacrifice a little bit of offense in that case and you you'll be able to platoon coop and uh christian walker this season or or you trade away coop and uh you get some prospect help there i think it opens the door to get rid of him entirely i think because okay. he's on the field more the five points and adjusted ops plus are going to be so atomic in scope that it's not going to matter i think you know he's going to be out there every day you can at least depend on him more he's got the durability factor which you can't depend on with coop we know solaire's picked up his 15 million dollar option so merely on that basis you have to kind of play him every day barring health as your everyday dh you don't want to play him in the outfield um you know if you're going to have if you're going to have a guy like Soler there. You may as well just have a guy playing first base who's going to give you above average offense with the glove. And, you know, that's something I think that is incredibly valuable. Eli, really want to hear your thoughts on this one, though, because I know we've talked about this um, leading up to this, this pod tonight. I think you guys glossed over something pretty important here. Christian Walker, last year alone, had almost as many home runs as Garrett Cooper has in his entire big league career. <laughs> yeah, so the differences the between them in terms of over the fence power, steady over the fence power, and availability in the combination of those two, it's, it's a pretty big difference. Christian Walker, if we're going to stick to war, I mean, I think he's had more war last year than Cooper has had in his entire career. His his defense and his power is what really propped him up, and his defense really came out of nowhere um, for somebody as recently as a year and a half ago, he was totally obscure uh, in the D-backs team. He was a player that was just kind of shuffling between AAA and the majors, and his over-the-fence power wasn't really showing up in 2021 and not so much in 2020. So this was certainly an anomaly in his career, and as with a lot of players in this category, you anticipate a little bit of regression moving forward. And I guess that's how we arrive at the idea that, you know, he's he's an upgrade, but nobody to go crazy about. There's a reason, though, why he is in this aisle. He really had a remarkable season. And if they were to acquire him, he is right up there with the top tier of realistically available first baseman. Uh, I prefer somebody like Jose Abreu, where the offensive profile is just so well-rounded, but maybe they don't spend the money. And we've talked about how much we like Anthony Rizzo. He is now off the market. We've talked about Brandon Belt. That's an interesting one as well, but he is several years older and has a lot more injury concerns. I mean, Christian Walker is about as good as they can realistically do at first base. So I just wanted to make that clear that if they're able to get this done with him trading from this deep crop of controllable starting pitching to get it done, like that is something to be extremely excited about. Yeah, it's been I mean, also speculated that, you know, these teams could match up with some of those aforementioned young outfielders, just like the Cardinals. The D-backs are a team that 
you can see a lot of different potential permutations this offseason of deals that make sense for both sides. I even tried to put together a hypothetical trade today on baseball trade values, and Christian Walker's trade value is at a 3.7. It's not that high. Peyton Burdick, for context, is at a 3.6, and I wouldn't even feel comfortable with doing that on a 1-1 swap. I know they have a gluttony of great young outfielders there, so I don't even know what a good outfielder, what an outfielder like that would do. I feel like trading Edward Cabrera while current value, maybe it's like slightly similar. You could be taking a risk there. I don't think, Kevin, you mentioned Braxton Garrett. They have Bumgarner who's going to have to pitch because he's owed uh, on two more years of that deal. So I don't think, you know, putting another soft tossing lefty in that rotation would benefit them all that much. It would give him, yes, the opportunity to get regular starts because he's not going to be you know, fighting for innings in a Marlins rotation where you're just all well, you're more well-rounded than Arizona's. But yeah, you know, at the end of the day, it's just like you, you kind of prefaced it by saying they're going to have to trade, you know, whether it's an outfielder or a starting pitcher, they're going to have to do something. I mean, it's, but you know, it's, it's even a matter of whether or not they even entertain the idea of acquiring a guy like this. I think maybe he's a fallback option if you don't acquire an Abreu or Brandon Bell or, you know, somebody else available on the market. Is Mad Bum on the final year of his deal? No, he's in the no. third year of a five-year, $77 million deal, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, or he's entering the fourth year, and obviously that deal has not gone well for them, but he's a lefty with subpar fastball velocity. Yeah. They have Gallon, who's average to above average when it comes to fastball velocity although he tunnels it well with his other stuff so that's different you know a a rotation with three lefties as you know funky as that would be i don't you know i don't know but cabrera would give them an added dynamic to complement gallon um although i don't know if i'm too comfortable with trading him for a guy like a a walker though i mean hypothetically if you know we talked about a guy like alec thomas i believe we touched on one of the earlier episodes you know Imagine an Edward Cabrera for Alec Thomas and Christian Walker trade. You know, from a baseball trade value perspective, it's not the worst idea in the world, but I don't know. It's, you know, we just kind of have to play the waiting game with the Marlins front office, see what they do, um, you know, see how the first base market shapes up after the Rizzo deal today. Yep. This is a PSA for people to not just Lewis, but everybody out there that enjoys using baseball trade values. I think it's a useful tool, but this is also a tool that I just checked coming before coming on to this. When I suggested the Pablo for Tommy Edmond arrangement, they have Pablo significantly more valuable than Tommy Edmond. And I don't think that lines up with conventional wisdom. So it's not with Christian Walker as well, just because they say that he has middling value. I don't know if you have to totally buy into that. I use it on the opposite end of my thinking process where I put together the deal in my mind and then I run it through the system. And unless there's like a really egregious like disparity between what I think and what they calculate, then um, I, 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 it shouldn't like totally dictate the way that we view this market. There are surprises. There are surprises out there. Sometimes they're behind on the way that they evaluate certain players as well. I, I under, it's a fun tool. It is kind of addicting. I admit that it is a, it is fun to put out there and we're going to get a lot of use out of it. The rest of this off season. Is there anybody else that we just want to give a quick mention to before we wrap up off season shopping? I mean, I guess you could mention 
some of the Dodger guys, Gavin Lux, who I know the Marlins definitely had interest in the trade deadline when Pablo, you know, possibly almost went to LA. You could mention Cody Bellinger if they want to really get a center field to give him a shot to Oscar Hernandez. And if we're looking at guys who I I could see the Marlins doing because they're the Marlins, Yuli Guriel, I could see that happening. I wouldn't want it to happen because I'd rather have a guy like Jose Abreu, as you mentioned. But those are some guys that we could throw out there uh, that we did not mention in prior episodes. I had Jock Peterson as one of them, but obviously he took the qualifier, so he's back with us in Francisco. Yeah, um, no other names on my part. I think maybe if they want to bat, um, Gavin Sheets is a projectable name that you could maybe like with the White Sox, although like Solaire, he's a man without a position right now, like Cooper. So do with that what you will. The, like I said, the team needs power. Um, they were 14th in the National League in home runs. So it's, you know, it remains to be seen. Um, you know, you could briefly touch on a guy like Dansby Swanson because I don't, I mean, again, I don't, and I don't even feel comfortable enough saying that. I've seen a lot of the forecasted contracts for him this offseason and have, you know, really, it's really caused, been a great cause for concern for me because I'm not going to pay, you know, I've heard, I've seen guys, their estimates out there, something like 200, 175, 200 million for a shortstop with a career adjusted OPS plus of 95. I'm not paying for a glorified Jack Wilson. I'm not trying to be, you know, condescending, but at the end of the day, um, I, th- I don't even think, I don't think Swanson's like the fifth best shortstop that's available this offseason, and you're going to commit dollars to him. I'd feel more comfortable giving him a, a contract like that, and I wouldn't even do it to a guy like Edmund, and he's still under team patrol. Um, yeah, Swanson, but Swanson is a good defender. He had a good offensive season. He'll get paid. Um, Marlins need a shortstop. I don't think he's a guy, but, you know, it's just a name to throw out there because – it's a need they have. They're in the market for a shortstop. Um, again, it just, you know, we're playing the waiting game. The offseason is in full swing. So we'll kind of see, I guess, where things go. Um, you know, hopefully if we reconvene at the end of the 2023 season and we do this again, um, the Marlins are in a place where we're not forecasting a lot of these grandiose ideas of guys for them to acquire, and they have a better idea of where they yep. see this team moving forward. Um, but, again, um for to repeat myself it just remains to be seen it's been a fun ride with lewis adia weiss kevin burrell i'm eli sussman this is the fourth and final installment of marlin's off-season shopping with most of the items still on the shelves and the marlin's still with oh we think some money to spend and a lot of prospect capital to potentially use to improve their team heading into 2023 for the official show closing it out here thanks for all the support and uh an exciting off season is just beginning to unfold here before us as always go fish <laughs>